Good morning. <clears throat> Open with me, will you, to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We'll be looking at a parable of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very short parable, only five verses. We'll be looking a bit, a bit beyond those five verses to see what precipitated this parable. Even though the parable is five verses, I like to think of it as a parable of twos. Parable of twos. Because in this parable, we have two groups of people that challenge or confront the Lord Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people. In verse 23, we have two questions posed um, by them. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And then we have the Lord Jesus um, asking them one question. And they could choose between two answers. The baptism of John. Where was it from? Was it from heaven? Or was it from men? So you have two choices. And then two considerations by these people of how if they answered one way or versus the other. If we say this, then that. If we say the other, then something else. And then, of course, that's leading up to this. But here we have the parable Two sons. Two sons. And they were told to do something. There were two responses. Two different responses. And then there was two actions. Two different actions. In the end, two groups. So I like to think of it as a parable of twos. A parable of twos. In many ways, it's a parable of a choice between two choices. And... Uh, we'll find that really there's no middle ground. There's only two. When I was a new Christian, I used to think everything was black and white. Then as I grew up a little bit, I found out there are some things that don't seem to be so black and white. But no matter how old I get, how long I walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, there are some things that there are only two choices for. (laughs) And we need to discern what those things are. People don't oftentimes like to choose between two alternatives. People oftentimes like to put those choices off. It, remind me, it reminds me of when I was a young child, you know, being a boy and having a brother, and we used to think of things to do, things out of the ordinary. We used to walk the fence. We had a wooden fence in our residential district, and it divided people's property, and the plank was three and a half inches wide. And we used to start in our backyard, And, of course, the houses were back-to-back, and we'd head down between the division of properties to see how far down the block we could get. And we reasoned in our minds that we had every right to do this because we're not on anybody's property. You see, we're not in your backyard, and we're not in your backyard. We're right in the middle. And things went pretty well until the fence started getting rickety, you know, and it would waver because the posts were, were rotten, you know. And we weren't the only kids in our neighborhood that did that. My mom had a solution. She didn't like people to be on the fence. You're either on one side or the other. And she knew our side was not the side you were supposed to be on if it was somebody else's kid, so she'd turn the hose on them. (laughs) That would get them off the fence. 
We see in Scripture that the Lord doesn't like fence walkers. As a matter of fact, he has different ways of turning the hose on people. And you have to get off the fence on one side or to other. You can't walk the fence. And so we're going to, we're going to look at this parable and we're going to talk about uh, walking the fence. It's not allowed. You've got to come down on one side or the other. And it's in implications. Okay, so what precipitated this parable? We'll read what precipitated the parable. We'll read the parable and then we'll go back and get a little background. We'll start um, in verse 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him. This hymn is the Lord Jesus Christ as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So there's a challenge. They're challenging him. They're confronting him. But Jesus answered and said to them, and I like this. If there's going to be someone doing the asking of questions, the Lord Jesus says, I'll do the asking. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you just one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? Now, I'd like to skip the next portion because we're going to come back and look at that. The reason why I want to skip it, because if you were there, you wouldn't know these things. <laughs> because he asked them a question. They reasoned something in their heart. We can't read their minds. So if we were there, we'd just hear the answer. And then we'll go back and see what they reasoned in their heart. Okay. So the answer, Jesus, verse 27, said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Neither, or uh, we don't know. I don't know. I don't know. How many times do we hear that? I don't know. I have to tell you a story about when I was little, I used to use that a lot. How my mom cured me of that. And here's the parable. Well, let's go back and look real quick what they reason in their heart. And they reason among themselves saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say to, to us, why then did you not believe him? So that's pretty good reasoning. But if, if we say for man, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they were sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. They didn't want to fall down on one person's property. Why didn't you believe him or the other? Wow, the people are going to stone us. He was a prophet. So they tried to walk the fence. I don't know. We don't know. And so this was what precipitated this parable. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise, and he answered, sir, or I go, sir, or I will go. But he did not go. Here's the question. Which one, which of the two did the will of his father? He proposed this to um, the two groups of people, and they said, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax gatherers and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But tax gatherers, tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. So there's our parable, five verses from 28 to 32. So first we want to think, well, okay, what's a little bit of the background? 
You'll remember the occasion, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's called the triumphal entry, where he comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey's coat. And of course, the disciples and the followers, they're laying down their clothes for the colt to walk on as Jesus presents himself. And if they didn't have clothes to lay down, they would break off branches and leaves and lay them down. And as uh, they go into the city, as Jesus goes into the city, um, there was praise accorded to him. And all this was done in verse 4 chapter 21 that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying tell the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey a colt the fowl of a donkey so the lord jesus was really fulfilling prophecy and god said hundreds of years beforehand that this is the way the king was going to come and so what authority was jesus doing these things well he was the rightful king of israel but he was more than that and we're going to look at that so he comes riding in. So the disciples, um, uh, it says in verse 10, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They didn't quite get it yet. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. He then left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. And so the second day he came back in. That's when they challenged him and they were waiting for him. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you that authority? Well, if they were paying attention to scripture... They would have known that he had plenty of authority. And if they were paying attention to the message of John the Baptist, they would have known he was more than just the king of Israel. And so Jesus has a very uh, pointed way of calling that to their attention with just a simple question. Simple question. You know, people today question Jesus' authority. They question who he is. And there are many people that are trying to walk the fence not decide. We're going to think about that. Two choices. Okay, so we have the background. Two choices. It says in Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live to, uh, uh, forever. God places a choice before us, a choice that must be made. It's a choice among two. Either Jesus is who he said he is, said he was, or he isn't. Either we believe him or we don't believe him. We're going to talk about a little bit. What is it to believe? And a lot of people mistakenly think that all I have to do is believe in God. It says in the scriptures, even the demons believe and they shudder. When the scripture talks about believing God, it's believing what he says. When the scripture talks about believing in the Lord Jesus, it's believing what he says. 
and who he is, how the scripture presents him. And there's no staying on the fence. You cannot stay on the fence. There's no middle ground. There's only two choices. And God is forever calling men to make choice. If you are here this morning and your heart is beating and you have lived on the face of the earth, you're here for a reason. One all-important reason, and that's to make a decision concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. If you haven't yet made that decision, you're in dangerous territory. (laughs) And if you've made that decision and you're convinced of the truth of it, well, then we should be sharing that with others. One decision, and our eternal fate rests on how we decide what we believe. And we're going to look at it right from Scripture. That's the way the Lord presents it. That's the way John the Baptist presented it. And Jesus is reminding us today with this parable of twos. They reasoned among themselves. Okay. The question was posed to them, the baptism of John, what was it? Was it from heaven or was it from men? Now, the obvious conclusion, if it was from heaven, would be, why didn't they believe it? Which is a direct indication they didn't believe it. But they didn't want to say what they really believed because they feared the multitude, fear of man. And I believe that's one thing reason that some people stay away from the Lord Jesus Christ because they worry about what people will think. What will my friends say? What will my family say? When it comes to eternal life and eternity, this decision, leave your friends out of it. <laughs> leave your family out of it. Because the day you meet God, they're not going to be holding your hands, standing by your side, able to protect you from God's anger because you didn't side with his son, because you didn't accept him, because you rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not going to be there. It's a personal decision and a private decision, but it's a decision that must be made. And to not make it is indeed making a decision against the Lord Jesus. They reason among themselves. I like this because it gives a view into their heart. What were they thinking? Have you ever wished you had a view into somebody's heart? What do people think when offered eternal life? When presented with the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you think goes through their mind? What goes through your mind? Honest questions are important. And some people are transparent, but most people aren't. What goes through their mind? Well, if I accept the claims of Jesus, who he is, that's going to radically change my life. Do I want it to change? Or do I like the direction my life is heading? That's a serious consideration and question, obviously. If you believe the message is from heaven, why didn't you believe? That's what they knew the conclusion was. Their life would change. They would have to succeed authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, something they didn't want to do. And I think that's another thing that keeps people from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ is recognizing who he is. The scripture presents him as our creator, the one who loves us, made us for himself. So to accept him who he is means ceding authority over our own lives. It means that I shouldn't be living for myself. I should find out how I can live for him. That keeps people 
from the Lord Jesus Christ because they don't want to give up that authority. Like these men didn't want to give up the authority. They didn't want to lose face in front of the public. They wanted to maintain the position. And yet they feared the opinion of the people. So their conclusion was, well, let's give a prudent answer. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Well, they were dead wrong. It was obvious they believed that he wasn't, his baptism wasn't from heaven. They didn't want to say from men. So they said, I don't know. How convenient is that? <laughs> I used to give that answer quite a bit with my mother. I mean, I learned that from the, the get-go. You know, four, five, six years old. Why'd you do that? I don't know. <laughs> get out of here. Stand up. Why did you do that? I don't know. You better think about it because you're going to stand there until you tell me. Why did you do it? I don't know. Maybe you might let a little time go by and then, I don't know. Change your expression a bit. Oh, my mom was exactly what I needed when I was a kid. I was just like, I don't know. And that would make her so mad. She'd say, stand up when I'm talking to you. I don't know. Stand at attention. I don't know. Chest out. Chin in. Now, why'd you do that? I don't know. She said, you say I don't know one more time and I'm going to spank you. And my mom, as an authority figure, she knew how to put the fear in you. I can remember one time my dad was missing some money out of his wallet. I didn't know it. I just know one of you two boys took it. I didn't take it. My brother says, I didn't take it. So my dad tried to be fair, and he'd say, okay, I'm going to come in there and give you ten whacks, and then the other one ten whacks, and then I'll, we'll keep going, going with this until somebody confesses. So my brother got ten whacks. I got ten whacks, and my dad takes a ten-minute break before he comes in again. Does it again. Nobody confesses. Well, I didn't. All I know is I didn't take it. That's all I know. It's not that I never took anything. It's just this occasion I didn't. You know, I don't want to present myself as somebody I wasn't, but um, that went on about five rounds, and he had no results. My mom was just chomping at the bits. Let me at him. I've had enough. She went in there at the dog leash, and it was whack, 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 about 20 or 30 hits on my brother, and then she headed for me. And then guess what? No break. Right back to my brother. And that's when she got a confession. So my mom knew how to put the fear in you, and she said, you see, I don't know, one more time, I'm going to spank you now. Why'd you do it? For no reason. You know, she didn't settle for that either. <laughs> and she made me to go. She made me go back in my thought process. Okay, we're going to walk you through this. And we started at the beginning. And you did this. Why'd you do that? Well, because you said to clean up. You did this. Why'd you do that? Okay, I, I, I was wanting to go out and play, so that's why I didn't do what you told me to do, or whatever. So she she helped me to follow my reasoning back to find out exactly where I went wrong, and she'd pinpoint it. That's where you went wrong. Sort of like debugging a program. And so when people don't accept the legitimate claims of the Lord Jesus Christ in view of the obvious evidence of the truth of his statements, why don't they accept it? Why? He's not going to accept, I don't know, or for no reason, or I was just too busy to think about it, or... I wasn't sure. You see, this reminds me of an agnostic. You know what an agnostic is? Defined by one of their proponents. 
is uh, Bertrand Russell. What is an agnostic? An agnostic thinks it's impossible to know the truth in matters such as God and the future life with which Christianity and other religions are concerned. Or, if not possible, at least impossible at the present time. And then the question, are agnostics atheists? No, an atheist is like a Christian, or like a Christian holds that we can, uh, we can know whether or not, uh, excuse me. No, an atheist, like a Christian, holds that we can know whether or not there is a God. The Christian holds that we can know there is a God. The atheist, that we can know there is not. The agnostic suspends judgment, saying there's not sufficient grounds for either, for affirmation or denial. At the same time, an agnostic may hold the existence of God not impossible, but very improbable. He may even hold it so improbable that it's not worth considering in practice. In that case, he's not far removed from an atheist. That's one of these guys. I don't know. I don't know. Well, presented with such evidence, we should know. You know, And God's not going to take an I don't know answer when it comes to who is the Lord Jesus Christ. What about your sins? He's not going to accept I don't know. See, that's a convenient answer because you're trying to walk the fence. I'm not on your property. I'm not an atheist. I'm not on your property. I'm not a Christian. I just don't know. And it sounds humble, doesn't it? It's not humble. It's a proud, stubborn refusal to come to where God wants you to come and make your decision. Because <laughs> God's going to blow you off that fence. And you're not going to like the side you fall on. Because it's really against the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to make a decision for the Lord. To accept Him who He is. Our God and our Savior who died on the cross for our sins, is to say, you know what? It's all a pack of lies. And this is God who's saying it. It's tantamount to calling God a liar. And that's what it says in the very scriptures. You can't walk the fence. And these people were trying to do it for political reasons, for you know, uh, reasons of guarding their power. They didn't like the Lord Jesus Christ because he could walk into a place, turn over the money changers' tables because he knows they shouldn't be there making money off people's heartstrings toward God. He could heal people, raise the dead. They had a hard time with that. (laughs) They didn't like that. It made them angry. So they challenged him. And I like how the Lord, you know, the way the Lord answered it, it's really, I think it's so compassionate because he gives this parable. In the end, he says, and you didn't even feel bad to us to repent. You know what he's saying? He's saying, even after saying no to God, even after rejecting, you can still regret it, feel bad, repent, and change your heart, change your mind. At this moment, they could have done that. God never promises tomorrow, but at this point, they could have. I think that's pretty cool, that the Lord Jesus Loved even them. They found it difficult to believe. How can these harlots, prostitutes and tax gatherers, in their day, that was the height of sinners of society, they can be received by such a man? They can be received by a prophet? They can be received by the Son of God, by God himself? And the religious elite can't? (laughs) Yeah, you can. You just have to follow John's message. Repent. See, a need for repentance and change your heart. And none of this, I don't know, kind of thing, you know. Um, Many of you have probably gone to jury duty. How many people have been actually on a jury? 
Okay, so what are you doing when you're on a jury? You're deciding what the facts are, right? Or deciding what the truth is concerning a matter. You're presented with evidence. And guess what? You're required to make a decision. There's no not making a decision. You can't sit there and say, I don't know. Because all the other jurors are going to be mad at you because until you make a decision, everybody's stuck there. They're giving up their pay. They're not with their family. They're sequestered sometimes. But you have to decide. Either guilty or not guilty. There's no in-between. Now, if people disagree and they can't come to agreement, then what, it's a hung trial? You know, um, maybe it's declared a mistrial because of that reason. But the people are still making a decision. They're just in disagreement. It's no different with the Lord Jesus Christ. A decision must be made. It's, it's either yes, he, he is who he is, says he is, or no, he's not. He either has that authority as God, our creator, the son of God, our savior, or he doesn't. He either is the Lord of my life or he's not. There's no in-between, no middle ground. And so if you've been on a jury trial, you know what that's like. They tried to walk the fence, and he says, okay, well, neither am I going to tell you by what authority I do these things. He doesn't have to say it. You know why? There's a saying, he, no one is so blind that he who will not see. Not he who cannot see, he who will not see. And that's, what, that's a picture of these people. Jesus didn't have to tell them by what. He could have told them by what authority. Would they have believed him? No, they already had all the evidence they need or they needed to come to that conclusion. What he said wasn't going to change anything. And that reminds me that if you're here today, if you live in America, where you hear the gospel preached on the radio, on the TV, you see pamphlets, you have a Bible that's available in every bookstore in the land, let alone the Bible bookstores, you have people talking to you about the Lord Jesus Christ, you already have all the evidence that you need to make that decision. There's nothing that God has withheld. There's no other unanswered question. Just like with these men, it wasn't a question of whether they had the information, like the agnostics, oh, if we just had the information. You have the information. It's at hand. The question is, why won't you make a decision? And then here's the parable. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, go, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. So his initial response was no negative. I got other plans. And oftentimes that's a person's response to when the Lord first puts their finger on a person's life and says, I made you for me. I sent my son to die for you. Will you receive him? as your Lord and Savior. No, I got other things. I got other plans. I can remember when I came to know the Lord, I had a girlfriend. I don't know if you remember, Rick. I shared the gospel with her. And I was a little bit older than her. She was 18. I was 23. And uh, you know what she said to me? She said, Eric, you're 23. You've had all kinds of fun already. I haven't had any fun yet. I don't doubt what you're saying, but I want to have some fun first. She was saying, I'm not going. No, Lord. That's what people say to the Lord. I'm not ready yet. Some things I want to do first. And even in my life, when the Lord presented that question, when are you going to look into me, Eric? I said, 
I went on about 60. <laughs> I was saying, after I already do what I want to do, that's when I'm going to do it. And of course, the Lord brought to my memory about five or six people that had died younger than I was at the time when I said that. And then the penetrating question, I'll never forget it. Eric, what makes you think you're going to live to your 60? And I thought, wow, what foolishness. That's stupid. You know, that's stupid. Wait till I'm 60 to find out about God, eternal life. What happens after we die? And then I die before that happens. You know, I'm so glad the Lord spoke to me like that and told me foolish, foolishness. And then that very same afternoon, he provided a way for me to hear the truth. So here's an opportunity for repentance. Maybe you've said that to the Lord. Maybe you're here and you've turned your back on the Lord. Maybe you haven't felt you haven't turned your back. You're on the fence. You just haven't climbed, climbed down on the right side. The Lord's given you that opportunity. The Lord's saying there is time for repentance. Today is the day of salvation. He doesn't promise tomorrow. He regretted and he went. Then he came to the second and said likewise. And he said, I'll go. Sure. But he didn't go. Yeah, I'll go to church. Sure, I go every Sunday. You know, I do all those things that Christians do. I'm, I even consider myself a Christian myself. <laughs> but he didn't go. You see, the, what stands out in this parable, what was important, is which one of them did the Father's will. The Father wanted them to do something. Two answers, two different answers. I'm not doing it. Sure, I'll do it. Two responses. The first was sorry, and he did it. The second didn't do it. And the Lord asked the question, which one did the Father's will? And they recognized the first one, obviously. That's a no-brainer, right? What does the Lord want you to do? I'll tell you what he wants you to do if you haven't done it, is to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognize that he loves you so much he died on the cross for you that you might have eternal life. And he expects you to respond to that by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've been uh, asked that question before. Perhaps you've said, sure, but you never did. Or perhaps you said, no. The Lord has given a day today for repentance. What will you do? The men at this time, if they read between the lines, they could have easily seen an opportunity for their repentance. You see, John the Baptist came with a message and they rejected the message. What was the message? The message was one of repentance. John the Baptist was a precursor or a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came, and there were those that received his message, and there were those that didn't. The message was, you're a sinner. God's holy. You need a Savior. You need to turn from your sins and prepare your heart to receive the Savior. And uh, like me, there are people of the time that was very easy to see that they were sinners. When I was presented with that truth, it was real easy for me to see that I was a sinner. The question is, am I going to be honest with myself? The Bible classifies all of us as sinners. From the most religious elite down to the most despicable sinner on the street. We're all in the same boat. Sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus classified it as those that are sick 
and know they need a doctor and those are sick and don't think they need a doctor. These religious men, they didn't think they needed a doctor. They didn't think they needed the message of John the Baptist. They did. In the end, they rejected the Savior. No middle ground. No middle ground. And yet they took offense that God would receive sinners. I'm so glad he received sinners. He received me. I don't deserve it. I never will. But that's just to the glory of his grace. God never turned away a broken, humble, repentant sinner. Ever. (laughs) Amazing. No middle ground. You know, it's funny about the middle ground. And I want to close with this. Walking that fence. I'll never forget walking that fence. (laughs) You know, how far can we get down that, you know, that division between the two sides? And um, things we feared. One, a rickety fence. Two, someone like my mom that's going to hose us off the fence. But, you know, there were some houses down there with some pretty big and ferocious dogs that didn't like people on the fence either. And when they come at that fence and jump on that fence trying to get you, that fence starts balancing and you start wavering. And, of course, it's easy to fall off. You see, if you try to walk the fence, God's going to make sure that you're going to get off the fence. But you might not like what side you get off on. That's why it's so important to make that decision before the fence starts getting rickety or before the dogs start coming, wanting to knock you off. And I'd like to close with this story of Herod. See, here's a classic example of someone that wanted to walk the fence. And he thought he was doing a pretty good job of it until one day something caught him by surprise and he made a decision and it was the wrong decision. We find it in Mark chapter 6. Herod himself had sent... And had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. So here Herod married his brother's wife. Of course, John the Baptist being a holy and righteous man, he wasn't afraid to call it like it was. It was sin. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. And when he heard when when he heard him, he was very perplexed. But he used to enjoy listening to him. See, there's a man on the fence. <laughs> he enjoys listening to him. He knows he's a holy and righteous man, but he's not going to do what he says. <laughs> Here, his wife wants to kill him, but he puts him in prison to keep him safe. There's a man walking the fence or trying to. And a strategic day came when Herod. On his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask for me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. This is where the Lord was going to knock him off the fence. And he swore to him, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. Now he said this in front of everyone. And she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. He's going to have to make a decision now, isn't he? Actually, it wasn't God who knocked him off the fence. It was God providing a circumstance where he was forced to make a decision. He had to make a decision. Either he was going to keep what he said or he wasn't. 
either he's going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. If he's going to do what he knew he should do or do what Herodias wanted him to do. And she had him trapped. And he was trapped because he didn't make a decision before that. Had he made a decision to side with God and the man of God and had not John been in prison because he took that side, he would have never been faced with this. But because he tried to walk the fence, he found himself in this situation where he had to make a decision. He still could have backed out and said, no, I'm freeing him. But no. And immediately she came in haste before the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me the uh, right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although, although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. Imagine that being promised up to half the kingdom. And that's your wish. This for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, that's what side he ended up on. That's what side. God does not like people on the fence. You must decide. What will you decide? Even in the, uh, in the, in the final pages of Scripture in the book of Revelation, in the church of the end day, it's described as those who are lukewarm. And Jesus said, Oh, that you were cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm... I will spew you out of my mouth. That's a fence walker. Lukewarm. Where are you today? Are you walking the fence trying to? Or have you already chosen to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your compassionate response to these men that we find in this parable that they indeed had an opportunity right before you to repent and to change direction and to believe you, Lord Jesus. So I pray if there's anyone here this morning that perhaps has had the opportunity to receive Christ in the past and has put off that decision, perhaps said no in their heart because of whatever reason, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see, give them eyes to see that, uh, and, and, and ears to hear and understanding that you don't promise tomorrow and this might be the last chance. Oh, that there might be those that would bow to the Lord Jesus Christ today as a result of your word that was preached today. Lord, and for those that have already bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ for us, Lord, we pray that we might live lives that might not be able to be described as walking on the fence, not lukewarm, but hot for you. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.